0: Good afternoon. My name is Anthony Ania. I'm the managing member of Ania Scanlan and Sirignano, with offices in White Plains and Somers, New York. Uh, we are predominantly an elder law and wills, trust, and estates firm. Uh, we've been in business now almost 18 years in practice. Uh, together, as Ania Scanlan and Sirignano, I've been practicing almost 36 years, and I'm pleased to have today uh, as our speaker, as our our, um, our guest is Samantha Lyons, who is a member of Aenea, Scanlon and Sirignano. And Samantha is very, very experienced in the Medicaid application process and eligibility for Medicaid, whether it be Medicaid nursing home or Medicaid home care. So because there's a lot of things going on, particularly in the Medicaid home care program, I thought it would be a good idea to bring Samantha in to give us a kind of summary of what's happening with Medicaid home care and so that you get a better understanding of what, you know, you need to consider if you want to apply for Medicaid home care. So thank you, Samantha, for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's exciting to be a part of this podcast.
0: Welcome. So it's a pleasure. So what are the two t- main types of Medicaid? What are they? When we talk about Medicaid for purposes of planning, I know there is Medicaid for Basically, your health insurance, there's Obamacare, there are different types of programs. But today, we're going to focus on Medicaid home care and nursing home. Can you give us a little insight into the basics of eligibility for both of those?
1: Exactly. So in our realm in elder law, when we are discussing Medicaid, we have the home care, also called the community Medicaid program or the nursing home institutional Medicaid program. So home care Medicaid is a great program. Um, New York does have a fantastic program for an individual who is trying to age in place, remain home in the community, and needs assistance with what are called their activities of daily living. So we're gonna talk about a lot of terminology that I think we'll kind of flesh out as we continue going through, but really it boils down to someone remaining in their home where they're comfortable and getting care from a home care attendant, whether it be through a licensed agency or a friend or a family member, because there are many programs that allow for that as well. And then we have the nursing home institutional Medicaid program where we have an individual who may have gone to a facility for some rehab um, and is now going to be a long-term resident. The Medicaid program allows for Medicaid to cover the room and board. So they're not out of pocket, the very high daily rate cost of the facility.
0: And both programs have a financial test. And in addition to being someone that's age 65 or older and disabled uh, or disabled, there is a financial test for Medicaid. And uh, I believe if you're single, the amount of money resources you're allowed to have is about $16,800, is that correct?
1: That's correct. And that that financial eligibility threshold is going to be the same for both uh, programs of Medicaid. So someone who needs care at home or someone who needs care in a facility, the test is gonna be the same 16,800 in non-retirement liquid assets. So whenever we're gonna meet with a client, we always want them to kind of bring us the snapshot of what they own, what assets do they have, whether it be checking, savings, investments, what retirement monies, what real property, timeshares, businesses. And then we wanna also look to their income because not only do we have the means-tested eligibility from the financial sense, but we also have um, conversations when it's discussing the individual's income and that's going to differ on the type of Medicaid that we are applying for. So home care Medicaid, we're looking to the individual. We want to see, do they have 16800 or less in non-retirement monies? If they're above that threshold, then that's where we have the conversation with them about Medicaid planning whether we have a spouse and we're going to be transferring assets to the well, what's called community spouse, whether we're going to be doing what you've spoken on the podcast before, um, Medicaid asset protection trusts. There's a lot of different mechanisms um, that you're the expert in, in regards to getting someone eligible and allowing them to age in place and also protect some of their assets so they can, you know, live out in their home where they're comfortable.
0: One of, one of the interesting things about Medicaid home care, community Medicaid, is that over the last 10 to 15 years, I would say that the majority of clients that we have would prefer to age in place than go into a facility. I think it, was high, it was high before COVID, but after COVID it's become even higher. People are really reluctant to go into a nursing home unless they absolutely have to. And again at that point it really may be just a decision of the family because the person can't stay at home anymore. And interestingly right now for Medicaid home care there is no look back period is that correct?
1: Correct. So there's been, you know, a lot of buzz, a lot of talk about the implementation of this new look back period for home care Medicaid. So currently an individual who has more than that 16800 in the non-retirement liquid assets can transfer those surplus or excess monies to anyone, any individual, to a Medicaid asset protection trust and not incur any penalty for their care. They become financially eligible the first of the following month. Currently, for nursing home Medicaid, we have what's called the five-year look-back period. So nothing is set to change for that, but it helps give some perspective as to what is forthcoming. And we're kind of waiting as to if this look back will ever be implemented um, because it's, it's been delayed due to the public health emergency. Um, Medicaid has not been able to implement really any change that's gonna harm a recipient or an applicant and their eligibility. So what is set to occur is an individual who applies for home care Medicaid would need to provide their and their spouse's accounts retroactive to October 1st of 2020. And it, it, it's said to be a two and a half year look back period. So the cap um, to go back to the October 1st, 2020, I believe would be April of 2023 but as it has not yet been implemented, the talk now is that it's going to potentially go into effect in October. But if the public health of this year, of 2022.
0: So perhaps as of October 1st of 2022, there'll be a 30 month look back period. However, if you transfer assets out of your name now, whether it be to a child, to an irrevocable trust, you and your spouse can get Medicaid home care without any look back period, including Correct. including the community self-directed Medicaid program where you can hire a family member, except your spouse to be the caregiver.
1: Exactly. So, you know, we've kind of been in this, you know, what we've called almost like a sweet spot of you or a loved one, a family member, a neighbor, you know, they've been, you've seen that they have maybe been in need of some extra hands or help, or you've contemplated whether the Medicaid program is right for you. Now is the time to implement the discussion and the application process, because if this look back period does get implemented, let's call it October of 2022. If you're above that financial threshold, you're not going to be able to transfer assets. You're not going to be able to fund a Medicaid asset protection trust and you're either private paying for the care, which is, you know, can be very expensive. Um, it's usually an hourly rate of anywhere from 30 to 45 an hour. Wow. Um, That's yeah, depending on some of the agencies, right? Because they're taking into account insurance, workers' compensation. Um, so not to deviate, but we, we always have the conversation a lot with our clients when they're doing Kind of what we'd call gray market or off the books home care. They have a friend or a neighbor coming in and is caring for them, and they're paying them off the books cash. It's cheaper, but there's always a lot of concern. So well, the there's Medicaid a lot of potential. Program, li-
0: there's a potential liability. There's issues about right. workers' compensation insurance. There's issues overtime. Overtime. So uh, we don't recommend gray market. I think it's very problematic.
1: So exactly. Let's but about- that well, just. That's where the consumer directed program, I think, is a great option for those individuals where, you know, they don't want to get involved with an agency that may cost a lot of it um, more money. They don't believe they're eligible for Medicaid. There is this consumer directed program that allows for the individual, if they have surplus monies, to transfer those monies to qualify and to get that individual that they've been maybe paying off the books to now be an independent contractor essentially of a licensed home care agency to get paid on the books. Um, And it really is a great tool that the New York Medicaid program offers for a lot of our clients who may have already had someone helping them. Um, And now we're also taking away the liability issues and legitimizing that arrangement.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the client, the kind of person that would need Medicaid home care and would be eligible for Medicaid home care?
1: Okay. So the person that we are, so the financial eligibility, right, is the 16,800, but we need to look at them as a whole. And do they qualify for the need of assistance in the community? So what are called activities of daily living or ADLs, walking, toileting, grooming, dressing, meal preparation, kind of looking to a day in the life of the individual or the client and what it is that they may need assistance with. So May 16th, so I think that's what a week from today, we're seeing substantial changes to the evaluation process and how Medicaid is now going to formulate what's called your care plan and how they're going to make you an offer of what you are to receive to be paid for by Medicaid. So generally, um, as it stands today, New York State does an initial evaluation to confirm that you are a person residing in the community who needs more than what's called uh, 120 days of long-term covered services. Under 120 days is usually short term, which is where we see coverage for clients through their Medicare, maybe 20 hours a week. If someone is going to need more than the 120 days of long term care, they are eligible for the Medicaid program to aid them and assist them with those activities of daily living.
0: So it's a person that has physical needs. So Correct. let's say, for example, I have dementia. But I can bathe myself, dress myself, feed myself. Would I be able to get Medicaid home care?
1: Yes, because there's a component with cognitive deficits due to dementia, Alzheimer's, or you know, another cognitive issue where you may need the prompting, the um, the reminders. You may be able to physically dress yourself, but you need someone there to assist you in maybe laying the clothes out, maybe doing the buttons and telling you it's time to shower and do the proper reminding that maybe a family member is unable to do. Um, It is difficult when we have a client who maybe is very physical, able to do everything, but due to um, dementia or Alzheimer's, can't be alone. There's a uh, concern of them wandering or being left alone at night. There are a lot of tools that we then utilize to advocate and help prep for these evaluations that Medicaid will do because it's very hard to obtain 24-7 live-in if a person is more physically able because Medicaid doesn't essentially what they would call babysit. Um, so there's other programs and there's other appeals and medical letters that we can get from doctors to get involved when there's more of a concern of someone being safe in the community due to cognitive issues and not necessarily physical, but they definitely would still be eligible and qualify.
0: So one of the big changes that's coming up is now we're going into, for purposes of evaluating the applicant, we're going into this, what's called an independent assessor review process. Just give us a little bit of a a summary of what that's going to mean for our clients and how it's even Mm -hmm. more important now than when they're applying that they have the advice and guidance of an attorney through this process. Of course. So the
1: biggest, I'd say, misconception is that you know, you get approved for Medicaid and that your care is going to start, right? We went through the whole application process, you're financially eligible, you got a 20-page packet in the mail you now need to affirmatively take this step um, to make the first call to what's called New York Medicaid Choice or Maximus. So that was currently a step now. It's gonna stay the same as of May 16th when these changes come in. New York State is going to set up two different evaluations. One is called the initial assessment and then the second is the clinical appointment. The initial assessment confirms you're on Medicaid, gets all the information, the most important one is going to be this clinical appointment where a, either a doctor, a nurse practitioner, a physician's assistant is going to do a clinical examination to not only determine how much care is recommended, but that you can safely reside in the community receiving care. If an individual is going to need or be recommended to have more than 12 hours of care, they then need to go to a third step which is what's going to be called the independent review panel or the IRP. So we have all the paperwork of the steps of how this is going to play out, but it hasn't yet been implemented. So there's talks of it streamlining the process, but it's a little concerning and alarming to me because the evaluation process itself right now is inundated. It's backlogged and it's supposed to be objective. But it's based on one individual, whether evaluating your family member or loved one via Zoom or in person, you'll still have the choice. And they're going to look at a day in the life and see, well, can this family member, loved one remain safe in the community? Um, and how much care do we feel is appropriate for them?
0: So one of the things they're going to look at is stability to be is their person individually stable enough to remain at home?
1: Correct. They're gonna look to see is the person self directing or do they need someone else to, you know, if there's more a cognitive issue to remind them and prompt them. And the way it works today up until next week is that you have the evaluation just to determine you are a person who needs either the cognitive prompting, reminding, cognitive or physical assistance, and then you're evaluated by what's called the managed long-term care provider, or the MLTC, the MLTC is going to determine how much care. So there wasn't necessarily this hyper focus on the evaluator saying, we don't feel that you can reasonably stay at home. Do we have clients who, you know, we have a conversation on how to phrase things on an evaluation, how to make sure you focus on and emphasize the needs for assistance, absolutely. But I think the concern in the elder law community right now is New York State is the one doing all of these evaluations. Are we gonna start seeing them come back with their um, outcome letters or offers that people are not safely and appropriately able to remain in their community?
0: So if that determination is made, is there an ability to appeal that decision and say, we disagree, this person can remain at home safely if they have the care?
1: Yes, they. so there will be a full you know, due process, appeals, fair hearings, and kind of the similar steps you can take now if you want to appeal the amount of hours that Medicaid were to present to you. Um, But it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out starting next week.
0: So we really don't know how these assessments are going to go and what kind of position New York State's going to take. I do think it's troubling that this is now all in the hands of New York Medicaid choice, which is also known as Maximus. And they have this full control and there's really just one entity. And it's an entity that's in contract (laughs) with the state of New York. So what incentive do they have to err on the side of giving the applicant more hours? Uh, I don't see they having any incentive to do that.
1: Correct. It it is a little concerning as we have not yet seen it playing out. I mean, I think the one thing that has always ring true is that it has been financially cheaper to care for a person in the community versus the nursing home.
0: But. Right. So. If, if Medicaid keeps somebody at home, they're basically, we're still having a, what we call a per capita cost for the individual, and the capitated rate is still something like five to $6,000 a month. Correct. So when Medicaid pays for your home care, it's only costing them five to $6,000 a month, no matter how many hours of care that you get. Exactly. However, if you, yeah. However, if you're in the nursing home, it could cost Medicaid a lot more money.
1: Correct. So, you know, we hope that the goal is still for New York and Medicaid to try and keep everybody in their home safely and with adequate care. It's just also you, you throw in now the extra layer of if someone needs live-in, so more than the 12 hours, they now need to go to a third round with this independent review panel to again have a full review of the case to make sure that there's, you know, adequate safety
0: for this person to be in the community. So how do we as attorneys decide whether a person needs more than 12 hours? I mean, are we going to be, are we going to be telling the clients, you know, based on your, your father or mother's condition, uh, we recommend that you apply for 12 hours or more of care?
1: I think it's a lot of times it's the, family members and the clients are coming to us saying the only way my family member can remain at home is with 24 seven live in or, you know, there is no one available to assist from this hour to nighttime. So we need at least 12 hours. I think we kind of flesh that out when not only we're hearing about what the person needs assistance with, but what has maybe worked too you know, when maybe the high cost of care, they scaled back, they now saw a decline or issues with that family member or loved one not having the full scale of um, care.
0: One of the distinct advantages of applying for Medicaid home care has to do with the income and enrollment in a pooled community trust. Could you yes. kind of give us an idea of what that is? Because Sometimes when we explain it to clients, they go, I'm not sure I want to do this, but it really is a fantastic tool, you know?
1: Yes, we hear that a lot. And I also, unfortunately, hear a lot when someone comes to us, maybe they did a little bit of their own research, say, well, I'm not eligible for Medicaid because I have too much income. So the income threshold for an individual in the community is $954. So Medicaid is gonna look to all of your forms of income, social security, pension, required distributions, and you'll still receive all of that income. That's not gonna change, but the income you have that is in excess of $954, so it's called your surplus or your spend down, you either pay to Medicaid to supplement the cost of care, or you enroll in what's called a pooled income community trust. So the pooled income trust is basically a charity that's gonna get your surplus monies and hold it in what we would call a sub-account. You're then gonna send any all bills for your benefit to be paid from this new, let's call it bank account, sub-account you have with a new bookkeeper such as this pooled trust. And it actually works out very well it you know, takes, I'd say, a month or two. It's a balancing act for our clients to see, okay, I'm not retaining all of my Social Security in my hands, in my, let's call it, Chase account, but I'm still able to keep all of my income so that I can stay at home, Medicaid's covering care, I can pay all of my household bills, my credit card bills, my clothing, groceries. Really, you know they won't pay for alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. And you can't pay for, you know, a third party. So we can't take cash out to gift to other people. But it, it absolutely is a fantastic tool for someone to protect all of the income, less this very small maintenance fee that the pool trust will charge, with the alternative being paying that surplus to Medicaid.
0: Right. In essence, a client can keep and use all of their income for their care if they're getting community Medicaid with the exception of anywhere from 100 to $200, which is the administrative fee that the charity will charge, depending on your surplus income. So yes. it's a great tool. And in fact, not only are you getting your bills paid out of your income, you're picking up a bookkeeper because the charity yep. is paying the bill. Yeah, you know so they- one...
1: Right. Once someone I think sees the logistics and speaks to the, you know, representatives at the charities that we work with, they it's it's much easier to talk about it in the real numbers of the person's income and their bills to discuss, okay, you know, the credit card bill just send it monthly and they're going to pay it as opposed to you paying it out of your account. But you're still going to retain and be able to use your income and now Medicaid's covering for the care that, you know, you're not spending all of your savings and income on?
0: Uh, You know, the Medicaid home care program in New York, I think, is probably one of the best in the country. I don't know too much about the California program, but every other program for states in the Northeast, they really, there's no comparison as to the quality of the program. Again, obviously, the taxpayers of the state of New York are paying for it, especially during this period where there's no look back period, you know. Right. So, I mean, right now, people, there is no punishment for giving away assets. However, as soon as October 1st rolls around, assuming that the the COVID pandemic crisis emergency is removed, then Mm -hmm. people who give away assets are going to face the penalty of 30 months if they want to apply for Medicaid home care. And I think that's fair. I think that's the way the system should work. You know, both for nursing home and home care, if you give assets away, there's a penalty. That really forces the, the, the senior to do the planning. No matter how you cut it, no matter whether you're talking about Medicaid home care or Medicaid nursing home, the one thing that's a constant is if you're proactive and if you do advance planning, you're going to be able to protect your assets. If you do no advanced planning, then you possibly could lose significant amounts of your assets. And depending on whether you have a power of attorney that is sufficiently broad, you know, you you may even lose more than 50% of your assets.
1: It all depends,
0: yeah.
1: It's important to just have the conversation. I think a lot of clients and people we've spoken to have said, well, You know, it was always in the back of my mind, but I didn't want to have the conversation and we were of good health. Well, that's the time to have the conversation about what can be done. You know, what are the options available, especially because we're seeing such significant changes to the program and, you know, the planning that can be done to protect.
0: Well, so far, the changes are are not too significant, but they are in terms of the actual of, of, of a assessment. Of concern. There's, you know, we don't know what they're going to do yet, but right. they're of concern as to how they're going to conduct these assessments and what findings they're going to make. Anything else that you thought of that you'd want to add and talk about in terms of financial approval, independent assessments, this review panel? I don't. I mean, I mean I'm assuming I, that if the review panel comes back and says. We're, we're not giving you 12 hours a day. You can go to a fair hearing.
1: Right. You then are going to have further appeals and fair hearings. And the managed long-term care provider is actually not bound by the independent review panel. So that's where it's kind of curious to see how that plays out, right? If the independent review panel feels that they approve you for a living, can the MLTC, the managed long-term care provider, say, well, no, we're going to still give 12? It's very, it could go two ways, Right. how this all plays out.
0: Well, thank you, Samantha. Uh, thank you for shedding some light on this, the Medicaid home care program in particular. Obviously, Medicaid nursing home is a lot more black and white. There is no, no pool trust. There is spousal refusal, right? And that can be done both in Medicaid home care and Medicaid nursing home. You want to shed a little bit of light on spousal refusal for a few minutes? Sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, spousal refusal is a great tool, um, especially when we're discussing nursing home Medicaid. So we have a client who comes to us. They are in need of long-term care in a facility and to get them eligible for Medicaid. So to get their non-retirement liquid assets below the sixteen thousand eight hundred because we have the five year look back, we can't fund an irrevocable trust. We can't just transfer the assets to children or other loved ones, but we can do what's called spousal exempt transfers. We can move the non-retirement monies or properties to the well spouse, what we would call the community (coughs) spouse. Bless you.
0: Thank you. And
1: if that community spouse is over a certain threshold that we call the community spouse resource allowance, um, the minimum is usually, uh, it's, I think, 74820 So if that community spouse not applying for Medicaid has over that threshold, they're going to need to sign what's called a spousal refusal. They're going to need to tell Medicaid, don't look to my income and my assets. They still have to provide them. So that's just, I'd say, a big misconception when we discuss spousal refusal. Medicaid still needs to see all of the well community spouses, bank account statements, and income. Well, but they're not going to count it.
0: Yeah, because Medicaid, med- Medicaid views a husband and wife as one economic unit. Right. So, that so if you're married, look- you're considered yeah. as one economic unit. Yeah.
1: That yeah. five-year look-back period for nursing home Medicaid is going to look for any transfers of assets that the applicant and the applicant's spouse made to issue a penalty period. But spouses can transfer amongst each other. So all the money can come out of sick spouse and go to the well spouse. The well spouse signs the spousal refusal as long as now the one applying is below the 16,800 and there was no other gifting in the past five years. They're going to be financially approved and Medicaid's going to cover the full room and board at their facility. Um, the caveat to spousal refusal is it allows Medicaid to go after and recoup for what was paid out for the cost of the care of that spouse sick spouse in the facility. So clients will say, well, why would I want to do this? Why would I put myself in a position for Medicaid to quote unquote, come after me? Well, if you don't do anything and you private pay, you're looking at 16 to $20,000 a month in the facility. If you do Medicaid and you do spousal refusal, it's Medicaid reaching out and contacting you to recoup on that. What we discussed is the capitated Medicaid rate. So in some facilities you know it's maybe 7500 a month to 8000 that is then the conversation that Medicaid would seek to recoup on that maybe 50% less than what you would definitely guaranteed private pay chose you do nothing and yeah. spousal refusal i mean it's not every application we put in with a spousal refusal Medicaid doesn't then come seek out that refusing spouse
0: right. there's no guarantee um, That Medicaid will pursue the claim.
1: It's their right to do so.
0: Right, it's their right to do so. And if the choice is between spending $20,000 a month or knowing that Medicaid can come after you for 7,500 a month, I think you're always gonna pick the $7,500 a month. Absolutely. Yeah, when husband and wife have done no planning and one spouse needs to go into the nursing home, generally that's the time that we do a nursing home application with spousal refusal. Yes, exactly. Well, this whole process of getting Medicaid has evolved over the last 30 years. I mean, the Medicaid program today is not the Medicaid program I remember 35 years ago. But, you know, with there's things that are better about it and there's things that are worse about it. Obviously, the five-year look back is a lot worse than the three year look back that we used to have many years ago. So, yeah. Well, again, thank you, Samantha. Thank you for joining us on this episode yeah, for having me. of Talking Seniors. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back on soon to tell us about how Medicaid is conducting these independent assessment reviews and see how we're doing in terms of these review panels.
1: So yes, maybe in six months we'll to have a year, a
0: up. we'll have, we'll follow up on that. Thank you very much and have a great afternoon. Thank you.